are turning to 2 Corinthians, reading uh, at the beginning here from chapter 4. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 7 in just a moment. And so last week we finished off in 1 Corinthians. This week we are diving in to 2 Corinthians. It's a really cool opportunity for us to see the continuation of the journey that Paul had with these churches that he was writing these letters to. In 1 Corinthians, we noted that he had spent 18 months before he penned that letter, that letter really encouraging the people that, hey, God has something else in store for you, and the way that Corinth needs to see you represent him is different than the way that you currently are. And so we saw as Paul wrestled with the people of what does God's freedom actually look like? What does it mean to be truly free in Christ? Is it free to sin? No, it's freedom to run after God in his fullness. And so here in 2 Corinthians, we'll begin to see as Paul begins to describe the reality that God wants us to exist in. A deeper understanding of who we are in Christ and how absolutely incredible it is to know that God lives in you. Just take that in for a second. That you are the home. You are the dwelling place. You are the storehouse of the Holy Spirit. You could just feel it during worship. Like there was something taking place where God was stirring the room up. There was this sense and this desire and, and it doesn't come from us. One of the most beautiful things about worship is it's this, this moment where we give God his praise. We give God what it is that he is due. But don't forget who it is that dwells within you. It's this moment for us to release the Holy Spirit who is alive and well in us and allow the Holy Spirit through us to praise God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? It's this moment for us. We talked a little bit about the great dance last week. We talked a little bit about how God constantly exists in this triune relationship, right? The Trinity, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. They are all one, always together. And yet, one of the Trinity dwells in us. Well, someone needs to wrestle through that today. Come on. One of the, tr the Trinity dwells in us, and so our opportunity to worship is us saying, Oh, Holy Spirit, be released in this place. Holy Spirit, be released in this place. For my brothers and sisters who are going through it, Holy Spirit, would you just work a miracle in this room today? God, we want you here, but we also want you to be released in our lives. There's power there. Come on. Where we're talking about how when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, where the Holy Spirit is, that there is power. Please understand that God is referring to where you sit today. As you walked into this place, not before, right? This morning at four o'clock in the morning, this was just a building. But as people began to move into this building, it has become and is in this moment holy ground. This is holy ground where we meet together to worship God. And so this is what Paul is trying to explain to people. He's trying to get them to understand that there is, an, an, there is a deeper reality for us to live in, an understanding of who we are, but also he who lives in us. In the verses that we'll read today, Paul is going to describe us as jars of clay. 
as tents, meeting places. He is going to begin to describe our bodies as these earthly vessels, uh, these, these opportunities for us to hold something within. But the focal point is not these bodies. Come on. The focal point is not the jars of clay. The focal point is not the tent. The focal point is what is inside of those jars. The focal point is what is inside of that tent of meeting. The focal point, church, is who lives inside of you today. When I was growing up, long time ago, long time ago, Oh, for those of you who are near my age or older, doesn't that, it's weird, right? Like, how does that happen? Like, like, when do you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm 36? Like, I don't feel 36. Like, what? Anyway, when I was growing up a long time ago, uh, we had a couple of things that came into fashion. I'm sure at different times I'll bring them up. Uh, one of the big things that was, uh, that was a big hit at our school was pogs. Does anybody remember pogs? They were these pieces of cardboard that they would make you buy for egregious amounts of money, right? It was amazing. And then uh, uh, Pokemon cards, right? The cool thing about Pokemon cards is, yes, I was there when it started. And it still keeps me relevant with my kids today. Like, what a beautiful, just a cool moment, right? Where I'm like, I know, I saw the first Pikachu ever. My kids are like, wow, you really are. Just leave it alone, children. Another big thing uh, that was really prevalent when I was younger was marbles. Anybody play with marbles growing up? Marbles was huge on our schoolyard, right? Right now, my son talks about every recess he goes out and plays soccer. I'm like, that's so interesting. Like a real sport. How cool is that? Every recess, I would go out and I would play with pogs or I would play with Pokemon cards or I would play with marbles. And marbles was for keepsies. Woo! It was so good, right? And so as I got more and more fearsome, I would say, at the game of marbles, I needed a place to store these beautiful, beautiful treasures that I was accumulating. And so I remember I went home one day and I told my mom, Mom, I need a bag. And she said, okay. For what? I said, for marbles. And so immediately, no plastic bags, right? No paper bags can do. Like, I was accumulating a treasure hold, like just so many marbles every day, those poor kids that faced me. And so my mom came out of the back room and she said, Mitch, here is the only bag that we have. And at nine years old, I looked at her and I said, are you serious? And she said, yes. And she handed me my sister's old Barbie lunch pail. <laughs> and I scoured the house for the rest of the day, but there was no other bag to be found. And so the next day, I walked into the schoolyard, and of course, I had the Barbie bag inside my backpack because that was safe. Uh, but at recess, I couldn't take my whole backpack out onto the schoolyard, so I had to uh, produce this beautiful pink and purple bag from my backpack. And all the kids looked at me, and they said the same thing I said to my mom, are you serious? <laughs> but the beauty of that story is that it wasn't about the bag. I still walked in that schoolyard and my skills were just the same. And those other kids' marbles, they were still to be mine. 
And I remember I would store them into that pink and purple backpack. And uh, my mom is a fantastic lady, uh, as I'm sure you've heard as of last week in that uh, riveting conversation we had on chocolate chip cookies. Uh, My mom also just kept everything. And so at 19 years old, as I was introducing my my, uh, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, to my family, my mom produced this beautiful pink Barbie bag and said, hey, look what Mitch used to take to school every day. Like... I can't wait to do that to my children, right? Isn't, it's like a real privilege as a parent, right? To just like, when you see the embarrassment rest on your kid's face, do you get that? Like, right? Because I really, yes, yeah, everybody's screaming, yes, that's it. That's what happens. And so I remember walking into the schoolyard and, and day after day I would have this bag, but, but church, it wasn't about the carrying apparatus, But it's about the things inside of that bag. That's where the real value was. And this is where we're going to go today in our message. See, these bodies, these bodies, this earth, this is is simply the, the carrying apparatus for what it is that God is truly doing. Amen? There is something so much deeper at play than what it is that you and I can see. And when the Holy Spirit is truly alive and released, oh, those are the moments where we stand back and say, yes, I can see. Yes, I can tell that there is more to this life than what I can take in with my eyes. In Lamentations 4.2, the understanding of, 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 of pots and clay gets introduced to us, and the Bible says this, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, those Israelites who were called out, those people of God, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. One of my favorite things every Sunday is being able to stand up here and look out at who it is that God has called to this place. What an incredible assortment of his creation. Each and every person in this room, you bear the image of the invisible one. And so Paul brings this concept into 2 Corinthians. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Each and every one of us in this room are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the Bible will continually tell us in different words that greater is he who is in us than we who are in this world. Ooh. So much power, so much deep understanding. These earthen pots, these jars of clay, they're, they're ordinary, but they contain and they hold something extraordinary. In the Old Testament, Paul will uh, use the the term of of tents, and this was a meeting place, especially for Moses. Before they erected the temple, this was the place where Moses would go in, and and, and the, the glory of God would rest over this tent as a cloud, and only Moses could go in, and the glory of God was so great within that tent that as he came out, the Bible describes his face as shining so brightly, the holiness was so visible on his face that all of the other Israelites needed him to cover up with a veil so that they could simply stand in Moses' presence. How great is our God? In 2 Corinthians, Paul begins to refer to our, our physical bodies also as tents. Not only do we hold the Holy Spirit, but tents are a meeting place. 
Let this sanctuary today be a tent for the Holy Spirit. A place where we can come together and pour out what he has given to us to collectively bask in his glory. What a God we serve. These ordinary weak vessels hold and house the treasure of treasures. Paul continues on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Hallelujah. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What a beautiful depth of understanding for us this morning. Church, let us always be weary not to fall so in love with God's creation that we forget that all praise and all glory and all worship go to the Creator. What He has made is incredible, isn't it? The opportunity to live life the opportunity to take a deep breath, just as we were encouraged in uh, that heart promotion today, that moment of just breathing in, like what a gift we have. But this is a pale imitation of what is yet to come. Let us not fall so in love with the creation that we miss the point that our creation is longing for its creator. That this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And from the moment that we were born, these bodies began to die. Because this is not our final resting place. Our king is coming back. And he will return at the sound of a trumpet. And all the knees will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, does that make difficult times less difficult? It helps. <laughs> but it does allow us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. To know that no matter what sin tries to affect with our earthly bodies, it cannot touch our soul. Because our soul belongs to Jesus. And this is who God in his infinite wisdom has filled our earthen pots with. This is where the jars of clay come into fruition. This is our deep understanding that God has poured his spirit into us. That each and every day, especially on Sundays, we can enter into the tent of gathering, lift our voices, and just stand in awe in the presence of God. We are called to represent who God is to those who don't know him yet. And the aim of Paul for the church in Corinthians is just as powerful today as it was when he says this, that we are called to love the right things. And when we love the right things, it, lives, it leaves little room for the wrong things. 
But conversely, when we love the wrong things, it can leave, it can leave little room for the right things. So what does this mean? Is, is Paul only referring to sin as he was in 1 Corinthians? No, Paul is referring to something deeper, something seismic. He's reminding us that the gospel is not a sin management program. But the gospel is a life transformation process. Church, we are not asking anyone here to white-knuckle it against sin. The greatest achievement for us is not that we would be able to walk in and out of a day and say, wow, today I was able to overcome sin greater than I did yesterday. No, our greatest achievement is walking in and every day and saying, hey, today I love Jesus more than I did yesterday. Today I have learned to converse with God in a new way. Today I prioritize being holy as God is holy because that is who I am after. It's not a checklist. It's not us keeping a balance of how many rights or how many wrongs. No, the greatest message of the gospel is where is your heart pointed to? Where is your heart pointed to? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to inspire you to that God-breathed greater and deeper level of affection? Jesus was not able to live a sinful life because he was God. Hello? We don't get to take that out. Right? We don't get to look at the life of Jesus and say, oh, well, I mean, he's God. No, Jesus was able to overcome every single sin that the enemy threw in front of him because his love for the Father outweighed his love for himself. Jesus' desire to do and live in and move in the will of the Father superseded everything. We see this even at the, the Garden of the Gethsemane where Jesus has come face to face with what God has been leading him to the entire time. He is about to step into the moment of the cross. And we see him as he's pouring out his heart before God saying, God, if you can take this cup, take it. But not my will, but your will be done. This is how Jesus was able to be that living sacrifice. This is how Jesus was able to be what we needed. Not that he was counting victory over sin as having not sinned. No, what Jesus was counting as victory was each and every day falling more and more and more and more in love with God. See, the beautiful thing about God as you continue to uh, grow in our understanding of theology is that our God cannot coexist with sin. Right? Right? Where God's light is cannot also be dark. He, he can't. He can't stay in that same. He is too holy. He is too great. And so this is the life that Jesus was also able to live. That his desire for relationship with the Father superseded all of his own inner desires. Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 5 verse 1 says this for we know that if the tent is uh, that that the, ugh, let me start again you can probably read it with me maybe someone else should read it this morning for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens 
heavens. Loving temporary earthly things too much crowds out the room for eternal things. God is not anti-joy. He's not anti-stuff. He's not anti-comfort. He's created so much in this world simply for our enjoyment. Why do the flowers smell the way that they do? I mean, there's lots of explanation for it, but because God said so. Why does the rainbow cast such beauty across the sky? There's lots of explanations for it, but because God said so. Why are you so fantastically good looking in this place today? There's lots of reasons for it, but ultimately because God said so. God isn't anti-joy and anti-stuff and anti-comfort. What he is, is anti-all other gods. What he is, is no other God before him. It's not that he doesn't want us to have these certain things in our life, but he never wants anything to be so prevalent in our life that it takes that space that he is supposed to occupy. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. Now don't forget, this is all coming out of that life transformation that happened within Paul. There was a time in Paul's life when he was known as Saul that this wouldn't have been his instruction. His instruction would have looked very much so like the Pharisees that Jesus spoke to in the Gospels. But when God showed up in Paul's life, it drastically changed his complete understanding of who God the Father is. May our encounter with Jesus continually transform our understanding of who he truly is.